podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. Welcome to Run With It, the podcast that brings you business ideas from established entrepreneurs. Each episode, you'll hear a new business idea and the exact steps our guests would take to get started. Follow through and you can earn a free mentoring session with today's guest and potentially a business partnership. Here are your hosts, Chris Justin and Ethan Janney. I'm Chris Justin. And I'm Ethan Janney. And on today's show, we have David Cristello. He is the CEO and founder of Jetpack Workflow, which is used by thousands of accountants in 18 plus countries to help them better manage their client work. He has a background in lean, cost-effective, measurable, value-driven marketing, specifically for small businesses, entrepreneurs, and startups. David, welcome to the show. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Great to have you. We're very excited, David. You've got a fantastic business that you've built in uh, my new town, Pittsburgh, PA. You've been here a lot longer than I have, so you can say Yinzer without feeling like a fraud. Uh, I haven't got to that level yet, but <laughs> hopefully I will in a couple of years. Yeah, you've got this idea that you're generously willing to share with our listeners. What's the business idea that you would like our listeners to run with? Yeah, absolutely. So we were talking a little bit earlier, so just preface, there's a notion of the entrepreneur that has a million ideas a minute. I've definitely met them and they have Evernote docs. You know, I've heard ed- entrepreneurs say, oh, did you, what do you have? A Google doc, Evernote doc? Like I have so many ideas. I just jot them all down there. And there's, I have so many ideas. I can never, you know, build them all. That's not me. I definitely have a lot of ideas, but they don't tend to be in new businesses <laughs> typically. And so, you know, my approach to thinking about building products, companies, is to start with the market, find the pain, become obsessed with the pain and build it from there. And so like my approach to kind of my concept here today is picking a niche and we could pick, you know, dental practices. It could be applied to teachers and educators or healthcare or construction sites or HVAC companies. Doesn't matter. It could be anybody. Well, we could pick dental practices. And the thing I would do starting out today, I'd become obsessed with finding the top 100 dental practices in the United States. So you can open up the journals and magazines and the dental industry, they all have them. They all have award ceremonies, by the way. They all have top 100 or top 50 or top 30 lists. And I would try to find the, the most well-run, profitable dental practice in the country. And I would try to reach out to them and try to interview them on what they're doing to run such a successful dental practice. I would position myself as just somebody that's thinking about building something for the space and I want to learn from the absolute best. And I will be extremely respectful of your time. I'm happy to pay for your time in order to have a call where I can just interview and talk to you about what it's like to run your existing practice. So that be so I'm going to try to find the best of the best. And what I was mentioning earlier was the best of the best usually have something that is atypical about their practice. So they're trying to contort or piece together, duct tape together seven different systems to follow the process or workflow that they've created. So they'll have a tool that uses Zapier that triggers to a spreadsheet that goes to a calendar that does a phone, like whatever. And I would just get obsessed with how they built out their entire firm and listen for things that they've duct tape pieced together, custom built, or they're really hitting the edge of their existing software. So, so many times the best firms will hit the edge of whatever tool they're using because it wasn't really meant for such a power user or for such a kind of thinker like them. And I would try to find, again, top 100 lists. And I would try to really interview 10 of those firms on what they're doing to run a successful dental practice. What metrics are they following? What metrics do they obsess about? Being an owner, what are the metrics they think about? What are the dashboards they look at? What's the process they use for managing or hiring a team? 
if it's a dental practice, which I, I personally don't know anything about, but like what's their process for inventory? So they have to order a lot of these things for things dentists do. I don't know, like sleeping gas or gels or whatever or pain. Like how do they manage their entire inventory process? How do they triage appointments or late appointments or rescheduled appointments? How do they look up insurances for patients? How do they get patients to come back in? Because the dentist is not something that everybody's excited to go to. But I bet that if I interviewed the top dental practices, they do something that causes their patients to come back in. Maybe it's they upsell the teeth whitening. Maybe they do some kind of like hygienic educational thing. I don't know what they do. They, but they'll have something that gives them a higher retention rate, a higher renewal rate, a higher revenue per client than other firms. And that, my job is to figure out exactly what they're doing. There's a lot to unpack there. I love this idea. And I'm always excited when we have an idea that echoes or reinforces a previous concept that we've talked about before. We were talking before the show started that of the David Hauser episode that we did on Run With It. David Hauser is an investor in Jetpack Workflow, which is David Costello's company. And yeah. he echoed, he basically shared the same, the same idea that, that uh, David Costello is sharing with us here. So this is not... Uh, when you hear an idea like that twice, and from people who are very successful, you uh, your ears <laughs> ought to perk up and really listen to what they're saying. A lot of times, we wait until the end to talk about your existing business, but I think it could be germane to talk about Jetpack Workflow now because as you were sharing that, I was thinking, this isn't some theoretical thing that David is sharing. This is exactly what you've done with Jetpack Workflow. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, and I added one optimization, I think, if I were to do it again. I don't have an accounting background. I don't have a technology background. What I ended up, you know, stumbled upon this framework through Dane Maxwell, which the guy I know you guys know him. And essentially the process was pick a market, go interview the market, become obsessed with finding a painful problem. So I ended up emailing thousands of accounting firm owners and I would email them. The subject of the email would be something like, hey, Chris, quick question. I just wanted to reach out and see what's the most painful, time-consuming, or annoying, annoying problem in your work week. I promise I don't have anything to sell. I just want to learn. Even if you give me one sentence, it would mean the world to me. Thanks so much, David. Send it for my personal email. At the time, I used to send these emails manually. I would send 100 a day for like a month straight. And everybody would write back whatever's top of mind pain point. And so then I'd get on a phone call with them. And my goal was to spend at least 30 minutes learning about what their week looked like. And you got to think nobody really cares about accounting firm owners in this way. So once they got the initial skepticism aside, they became really open about what it was like to run an accounting firm. And one of the big things they talked about was just how much pain was associated with managing checklists. And I initially thought that's ridiculous because Asana and Trello and Basecamp, Podio, and all these wonderful tools manage checklists. And lo and behold, when I was trying to convince them they didn't need a tool, I learned that accountants kind of have a somewhat unique pain point where they have so many clients with so many recurring projects or jobs that it's really hard for them to pull views, like show me all my bookkeeping clients with something due this Friday that hasn't been started, organized by my team. They have all these different like kind of logistic questions they need to run. And that was kind of the genesis behind Jetpack. And at the time, I subscribed to the belief to try and pre-sell things. So I was like, okay, people keep telling me checklists is a problem. They can't grow their business. They can't hire new team members. They can't bring on new clients. Uh, one firm owner said that he was going to get something custom built, which is kind of like gold. If you ever hear that on a call, something like, I'm about to get a custom built. They're not saying it like hypothetical. Like They're starting to talk with dev shops and they have like $20,000, $40,000 allocated to fix it. I mean, this is like really painful. And 
I went back to the other firm owners and after I validated that checklist was a problem, I created a company called Checklist Pro, which was just me typing the word checklist because it was like checklists and pro because it's going to be like really great checklists. I don't know, whatever. And I got a really ugly gradient blue check mark from Google Images. And I slapped that on a PDF and I said, hey, everybody, this is what you told me is your problem. This is what you told me is going to happen to your business if you don't solve it. This is what I'm thinking about creating. I'm only going to create it if you're serious about removing this pain from your life. So here's like a founding members program and you can pre-purchase like this software if you're interested in it. Got 10 firms to pre-purchase it. Got a couple thousand dollars, enough money to hire an initial developer to start building out the product. And then it kind of just rolled from there. Now, you know, Jetpack today, not in the same league by any stretch of the imagination of of David and Grasshopper. Kind of, (laughs) I mean, we're not a $180 million acquisition target for Citrix just yet. But so we're almost 20 people and we have offices here in Pittsburgh. That's how we met. You know, we've raised $3.1 million. And yeah, you know, kind of fast forward today, but it's all based off of those early interviews. And our marketing is based off of those early interviews and our hook, our angle, and our product is all based off of those early interviews. So that's, yeah, I fully subscribe to this system. And I think if people are passionate about... Because I just talked about dental practices and they're like one of the biggest worries, I guess, with this model is like, well, I'm not passionate about dental practices. So like, you know, the two things there are, I don't know, when you just switch your mindset to becoming passionate about solving painful problems, all of a sudden, the like selfish desire to always just follow your wants shifts to a little more of a service mindset and try to just help people. And if that doesn't work, well, then just apply the same model to your passion. Just know that you're going to be dramatically distorted because like, I don't have any skin in the game. Like I didn't come into the accounting space with a certain idea in mind because I didn't know about enough about the space to have an idea. So I was just totally blank slate. And that was the, that was the beautiful part. But if I, let's say I'm passionate about film and documentaries and I was interviewing people about how they make documentaries. And I really thought they would be great to have this platform where for 99 cents a month, people could watch unlimited documentaries. Well, I'm going into all these interviews thinking, I really want to build that 99 cent a month document subscription service where I can watch indie documentaries. And I feel like, oh, that's definitely the right way to do it. And that's going to distort those interviews and those conversations. So that's the challenge with following your passion. It's not insurmountable, but just you really have to be like, here's the thing. Here's my passion. My passion is education. And I want to figure out what the best teachers are doing. Or my passion is, is documentary filmmaking. And I want to figure out what the best are. Yeah, I have an idea that could be interesting, but I'm going to put that aside. And my only goal is to figure out the most painful problems for this passion area that I have. And it's really hard to separate those two, but... It, you can do it. It's just harder. So you can, even if you have a passion, you can just, I would subscribe to the same belief system. And if you have an idea already in mind, I would just pretend that idea doesn't exist and start talking to the market. Yeah. The other thing is you could, instead of picking something that you already have a passion about, pick something that you're intrigued about or you're interested in. Maybe you've never worked with architects before, but you've been, always been fascinated with, oh, what it's like to design buildings and homes and things like that. So that can help. And also along the lines of what you've said recently in a book I was reading, the idea that the outsider perspective can often bring a lot of insights to a system. And that's because a lot of times the insiders, well, they may be very, very good at what they do, but it's because they've learned systems already through a process of education or they're sort of ingrained in the systems already. When an outsider comes in, they could say, well, did you never think you could shortcut this to this? You know, and they go, oh, yeah. 
oh yeah, I guess you could, right? Because you're an outsider and you have a totally different perspective. So there's an advantage there when you come in. Well, also, if you're interviewing people, you'll always have to remember too, that if you're passionate about architecture and you're interviewing people that, you know, maybe own their own firm or work in one, if you do a hundred interviews with these people, you're in like the top 1% of interviewees in that industry all of a sudden. SaaS aside, because a lot of people interview SaaS people. So assuming it's not that, but like nobody, like if you interview a hundred, all of a sudden you're like, oh, what's that guy's name? Larry, Larry King or whatever. Larry you're King. like the Larry King of, yeah, of, of, of architecture firms. And you have more information and you have stronger ability to pattern match what the top ones are doing. And you'd be surprised that the best of the best don't see those patterns because they don't go out and interview a hundred people like us for accounting firms. On our podcast, we've interviewed, I don't know, almost 200. You know, one of our potential partners brought up, they're like, well, you've probably interviewed more accounting firm owners than anybody else in this industry. And I was like, that was easy because nobody else is doing it. And then you can start to pick patterns. Oh, this is what the top people are doing in terms of niching down or pricing or whatever. So yeah, when you're intrigued by something, you interview 200 people, you're you're, going to be amazed patterns you start spotting. Before we hit record, there was an interesting quote that stuck out to me that you had shared, which was, you got feedback as you were raising money that you're starting this business, Jetpack Workflow, as if it were your second business, not your first one. And I think there's an interesting dichotomy or this gap between people's expectations of what a business is like and what's actually effective. You called it out a little bit in your initial answer, but the idea that it's not sexy to do this, to go after dental practices, it seems like it's there's nothing to it if you're not coming up with the idea and there's less of you involved in the business itself. That's what people end up doing when they've already been successful or they've tried one business. That's the second attempt that they have. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm really distant from accountants. And I think most second founders get something that's maybe closely related to something that they know. But I think that the comment that was given to me by an investor was they the macro premise is they start with the customer the second time around. Because there's you can look at all kinds of startup and business advice and all of it's true. And the opposite of it is also true. So like you get the advice, oh, you need a strong founding team, right? Well, you know, for Jetpack, it's just me. Yeah. I mean, I wish I had like four co-founders that were all amazing. Awesome. That make my life a little bit easier. You don't need it, right? The opposite has been true. You need to raise money. You need to bootstrap. You need to be in the US. You don't need to be in the US. You, whatever. You need to come from the industry. You don't. So the opposite's always been true. But the thing every business needs 100% of the time is a paying customer. So if you start with that, that's always the riskiest part, right? That's way riskier than, am I going to raise capital or not? Am I going to find a co-founder or not? None of that matters if you can't get somebody that really buys your product. And if you're you know, an end consumer app, which is obviously a different slant on this whole, I think B2B, that's just my slant. But you know, if you're B2C, then it's, I, you know, if it's not payment, then I guess there has to be high usage, you know? We're right next to Duolingo's totally different world there. And Luis, they have their own slant of building a business. I'm just presenting one way to build a business, which I think is like the most accessible to people. It dramatically reduces the risk in building it. And it reduces your downside if you're personally investing in it. Because if you're interviewing these dental practices and the top ones, not only are you learning the patterns and the top ideas, and by the way, they probably have software they've been looking for. And one of the questions I used to ask, which is like, is there a piece of software you've been looking for you haven't been able to find? Or is there a piece of software that every time you open up and use it, you want to punch your computer? 
And I'm sure the top firms, because they're always pushing the edge of what their business firm and industry can do, they're probably going to be able to answer those questions. But even through that process, you're building your marketing funnel. So imagine all the rich insights you're getting when you're interviewing the top dental practice owners or the top educators or filmmakers or whatever. You're learning exactly what it's like to build an amazing practice. And that is a foundation for the content and the eBooks and the YouTube videos or the podcast. I mean, it's just such a foundational layer for your business. You literally build the go-to-market strategy as you're building the prototype for the product while you're pre-selling it. And the reason I'm so adamant about trying to go after the top firm owners is because their methodology gets baked into your product and then they can become champions. Now, if you get three or five amazing dental practice owners, okay, bring them on as equity advisors and give them a half a percentage point or one percentage point. And then all of a sudden, they're speaking at conferences talking about your product as the latest, greatest thing. So there's just so many advantages to being outward focused and think of the market that way versus being so obsessed with like trying to think of some like witty idea in your spare time. So there's a subtle kind of tip here that a savvy listener may or may not have noticed. Um, but I've noticed, and I think Chris has also noticed is emerging. You mentioned you guys have a podcast for Jetpack Workflow, right? And you interview people already for that. So one interesting way to launch a business is just to start a podcast about that industry. And that's how you have a little bit more leverage to get those conversations. So like when you said that you were reaching out to accountants initially, that was cold email. They, they might not have known anything you know, you from a hole in the ground yeah. versus if you could send an email to someone say, hey, I started a podcast and it's about, you know, how to create the best dental practice around. And I found you and you're a great dental practice. I'd love to interview you. I think we can guarantee from what we've seen, it's just like, if you can invite someone on a podcast, it gives you a lot more leverage. You have a nice interview with them. And either during the podcast, or maybe even as an aside, you have this kind of client development interview where you understand their pains, and figure out what they need. It's a high leverage way to get something like this started. Yeah. yeah and the way, oh, go ahead, Chris. I think that's a great idea. And I think it's a perfect segue, like to steer the conversation a little bit toward actions yeah. with the time that got left here. So that's a great action is if you've been thinking about podcasting, and maybe this is one that you could do in an industry you're passionate about, because if you're passionate about the topic, you'll want to do the podcast. Podcasting is a lot of work. You may invest the time to do the uh, the not so fun parts of podcasting more if you're invested in it. So what other actions can a listener take to implement the strategy that you've outlined? Yeah, so a couple of things. One, if you do do the podcast, you know, angle, you could dress up the podcast where you always do somebody, I think it's like Nathan Latka does like the fab five at the end, or you just like do a lightning round questions. And you can let people know you're about to do the lightning round questions. Then one of your questions is like, okay, right now, what's your biggest time suck every week? What do you dread doing? And you can pitch the guest and say, look, maybe our audience has a solution for it and they can reach out and tell you what that solution is. And I'll pull them about it. But if you ask that question on every podcast, because one of the things with, if you go to the B2B space, it's save time or make money. So that's a question on the podcast. The action steps I would take and I, you know, just having fun with this, I kind of was like already digging into this world a little bit is, if I was going specifically after dental practices, right, I would look up every dental conference that was going on. Even when I was doing some research, there's like chapter organizations in Northwestern Pennsylvania. I'd reach out to the chapter leads. I would reach out to the people speaking at conferences. I would drive to these chapters. I would email, I would call, and I would set a quota every day. I'm going to contact 50 people 
in the dental space, or if you're really honed on that top 100, like every day, I'm going to do one follow-up with at least one of them, right? Or, or something like that. But if you're doing top 100, I wouldn't shy away from carving out a couple hundred dollars to maybe a thousand dollars to travel to these people. Chicago is an hour flight, right? You can drive to Philly for five hours, take a day off work. You drive into Philly and your goal there is to interview this dental practice firm owner for one hour and then drive back, right? I would just be so adamant about getting these people on the phone and then asking the question, tell me about your typical week. Okay. And then they'll say, whatever, you know, every week I have to check inventory to make sure we have all the blah, 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 blah. All right. Well, tell me what your inventory looks like now. Is there like an inventory closet? Yeah, we have an inventory closet. Okay, cool. Is it like, is it locked? Is it secure? Yeah, it's locked. Me and the office manager have it. Great. As soon as you open it up, what does it look like? How is it stocked? Who orders that stuff? How often do you need to order it? How is it connected with services? I mean, you're just becoming so obsessed with inventory closets for dental practices, right? And when you feel like you totally understand how they run an inventory closet and it's smooth and it's great and it's wonderful, go into the next thing, go into the next thing, go to the next thing. And you're just becoming hyper obsessed with how they run their business. So in terms of action steps, I want to cut in here because we've got a few on kind of like how to validate the idea. I think a lot of this is around validating the idea. Of course, it is redundant to marketing it and, you know, even maybe pre-selling it. But I noticed that, you know, you started a software business and this is all around starting a software business. So let's give a little bit to the listeners, even though it's a little bit further down the line, about action steps. Like once you have an idea and you need to get a software going, because you're not a developer, are you? No. Yeah. So maybe a little bit on that, like where people could go to start getting connected and get, get something off the ground software wise. Yeah. So there's all these wonderful... So if you feel like, okay, I have an idea of what it's going to do, right? I have this thing. It's going to be inventory management software for dental practices, and it's going to sit on top of QuickBooks or whatever. You feel like that's the general concept. I mean, you do want to put together a pre-sales pack, but there's some tools that I think are very useful. So there's all these kind of wireframe and mock-up tools to build your first like MVP versions. So there's Keynotopia. There's... Um, oh gosh. Balsamic is really low resolution. I would want to go with something a little bit higher. Oh gosh, I would I would just go to prototyping. If you literally type prototyping software in this day and age, there's so many tools that will give you the ability to create quick, clickable prototypes. And I would start trying to build out something really, really simple. And you're really just trying to understand if you're getting the flow right and the functionality like right. I'm assuming here that you've already kind of like this is either used in the pre-sale packet or you've done a little bit of research on user flows for software. If you don't even know where to start mocking up your first wireframe, this is really quick and dirty, but just open up tools you love and start reflecting, why do I love this tool? Well, okay, the navigation's over here. And I really like it's over here because it's so easy to find. And then when I click into something, there's a screen that I could tell, hey, they use two colors in the screen and they have a row of buttons here and all those buttons are actions you can do on the screen. So start picking out trends and software you like. And I would try to piece together a really simple clickable prototype. I don't know the top prototype software, you know, this day and age. When I did it, honestly, what I did just to get like super real with you, I got a tool called Snagit. And this is really horrendous. But anyways, got a tool called Snagit. I took a screenshot of an app that I really liked. And then I just started taking screenshots of buttons I really liked. And I started like dragging and dropping and copying and pasting like the view I wanted. And obviously it looked horrible, but it resonated enough with them that it was enough to get the pre-sales with it. I would say if you're in that stage of the world and you're doing some prototypes and things like that, you know, start reaching out, go to local meetups, local design and UX meetups and start 
the process you did to find the top 100 dental practices, find a couple top UX UI experts and just tell them what you're up to. And you'd like to get some feedback on the layout. And if you have money, say, Hey, I'm happy to pay you time. Or like, look, I don't have a lot of money. So happy to pay you in pizza and some lunch. Like I'll come down to you and it's just make it super convenient to them. I know you work downtown. I'll come to your office. I'll get you lunch. So anyways, practical steps, get the prototype, model it off of something, you know, and then try to get some level of like expert feedback to just kind of help you. Picturing a listener who loves this idea, they love the framework, they want to do it. It sounds like it could be a big time investment. And a lot of our listeners would have a full-time job. What would you say to someone? How much time would it take for someone to do this? And how can they fit it around a full-time job? I would try to do two hours a day. That would be the goal, two hours a day. I think when I was doing it, I was doing maybe four hours a day or something like that. And I would do... I mean, The way I would kind of look at it is you have the time before work to maybe crank out 30 minutes of emails and outreach. And then you have the lunch hour or half hour to do a phone call to try and get someone on the phone. And then you have your commute or after hours to do another phone call. And then if you could squeeze any time late night, 9, 10, 11 o'clock to just uh, try to do some research and plan your next day, like get your list together, get your profiles together. Great. I had my action steps. Next morning, you wake up, you do the outreach, your booking call. So that would kind of be the ideal day. And once you have your idea, you so you have your little time blocks and just insert, okay, now I need to learn how to prototype. So now your lunch slot that used to be for a customer is a lunch slot for a UX UI designer somewhere near you or virtually in a Facebook group you connected with to, to help you out. Another objection that comes to mind, dentists are busy. And it seems like if you only had a lunch hour to say, hey, I have to meet you during between 12 and 1230, or I have to meet you after on my drive home from work between 5.30 and 6. What would you say to that objection? Yeah. I mean, so look, that's definitely going to be real. These owners are definitely going to say that to you. Maybe those time blocks don't work for you. So look, and this is highly dependent on the type of job that you have, but like, you know, obviously you lead with the ask of, you know, happy to book a time. How does 12 to 1 East Coast time or 5 to 6 work for you? If not, just let me know a couple other times at work. And you maybe take an afternoon off and try to block like five or six of these together. Maybe you try to catch them on a Saturday. I know that they typical. Maybe you try to do email answers only just to warm them up to take a lunch hour. But I mean, look, they have to eat lunch every day. And let's say their lunch hour, oh, I can't do noon to one because I, I usually do my lunches one to two. Okay, we'll talk with your boss and ask if you can do a lunch one to two that day. I mean, just kind of, you know, build that that flexibility with them. So and also, if you can find local people, invite them out to lunch, you know, and say, I'll pay for your lunch. It's, it's always nice. Yeah, 100%. There's a book called Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi, 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 whatever. And the general premise is just that. Like, everybody eats lunch every day. So, you know, they're going to have to. Most people, I mean, dentists definitely do. They commute to work. I mean, I used to do that pitch all the time. Even if it's... Do dentists brush their teeth after lunch? That's the question. Yeah, that could be a fun podcast <laughs> question, right? Um, but like everybody has to eat lunch and then dentists have to commute. So that's... I'd always pitch that. Like even if it's for 10 or 15 minutes during your commute, I'd love to connect. And some people would just take me up on that. And I really only got 10 or 15 minutes. But if it was a great interview, like if we're really vibing, we had enough momentum to book a longer time during their day. Or if it's, it's just really didn't go anywhere, maybe 15 minutes was was okay. I will say, if you're, when you're going through this process, it is very, very easy to think that the activity automatically leads to the outcome. Meaning, oh, I had 10 calls. Why don't I have an idea? 
you have to also think of the quality of these calls. And that's why I said earlier, I, I would like to spend at least 30 minutes with people because for whatever my own reason, 40 minutes on a call is when I found the really good stuff. So I will say, if you go through this, you have to think of it like you're watching football game tapes or whatever. Like you have to think about the quality of your call and you have to think about why it didn't go as well as you wanted it to go. Good point. I want to just, uh, we probably don't have time left, but just to expound on Chris's question, because I think this is, this is some stuff we haven't covered a lot that I think listeners might care about. You had a job while you were starting this. Is that true? Yeah. So how's the quality of your work at your job while you're doing this? Like, are you kind of not paying as much attention, but it's still going okay? Are you still like your go-getter guy at the office just in case, you know, you need to keep that job? I'm just curious, like, what's your attitude towards your work while you're working on a business like this? I mean, look, I am an employer now. So, <laughs> like, I just, like, so, I mean, it's just super disrespectful if your work drops while you're trying to yeah. do this. So that's just kind of my take on it. Like I, right. I was trying to be, obviously everything's a work in progress. But you, you got an hour in the morning to do this follow-up and that's what you do, right? And you're doing your other work during the other time and you got to focus on that. I was quite young. I had a lot of flexibility. I didn't have a lot of expenses. So it's like, it's a different risk factor for me at that time. But it's like, it's even more important if you have a family, if you have a mortgage, if you have a career, I mean, you just got to be 110% focused on that during the day to make sure you're being responsible for everything that you've taken on as, as an adult. But, you know, I think if you're doing the right things, if you're not going down silly rabbit holes and you're just going through this process, and we mentioned some, you know, listen to David's interview, look up Dane Maxwell, look up lean entrepreneurship, look up idea extraction. They all kind of speak the same idea of go to the customer, interview them, ask them, dig into the pain. And the ultimate thing you could do is have a phone call with somebody or meet them face-to-face and interview them and talk to them and ask them. And you're not going to be great at it. You're going to suck at it. You're not going to want to do it, but it will get better. If you're focused on that, then you can focus on your work. But if you're like pretending to work on this thing, and by pretending, I mean, if you're like going too far down the rabbit hole of like watching TechCrunch videos or YouTube videos, just know that, okay, some of that content may be important, but that's not going to get you there. You got to be, when you design your day, that hour in the morning, the hour over lunch and the hour at night, you just got to be ultra critical what you're spending your time on during that. If you feel like, well, yeah, but there's still a lot of content I need to consume, then find ways to do that and just make sure you're just really focused on your goals and, and, and set goals. I need five calls this week or three calls this week. And if I get nothing else done on my little side project, if I get three calls done, that's what matters. So yeah, you got to take care of your main thing. Keep your main thing, your main thing during the day. And I think if you set up proper goals for the week and you're okay, you just know you're not going to make the same progress as you know the person next to you that raised a bunch of money and they're going all in and just be okay with that. I think that's a, a great place to wrap up here. David, thank you so much for the idea that you've shared, the framework and being extremely generous with your time and just <laughs> showing the entire business strategy that you used yourself to build a very successful company. So listeners, if you are on board with this framework and you want to follow through on it, do so. All the actions that we've outlined, email us at update at runwithit.fm with what you have done. We will choose one listener to connect with David for a free mentoring session and potentially a business partnership. You may be able to sell David on uh, becoming an advisor for you. David, thank you so much for your time here. Where can people go to learn more about you? Yeah, absolutely. So jetpackworkflow.com, that's the website. It's obviously built more so for accountants. My email is my first name at jetpackworkflow.com, LinkedIn. I think I'm one of the few David Cristellos. 
the final thing I'll say is if you do this process for the accounting industry, uh, then I am extremely interested in what you're doing. So if you like want to just jumpstart, I mean, just imagine, right, if you do this for accountants and CPA firms and bookkeepers and payroll, and you find a painful problem that is adjacent or complementary to what we do, that's amazing. That's such a great potential partnership, advisory, you know, we have distribution. Like, so I anyway, I'm not saying you have to do that. I don't care about that. But like, saying if you do, I mean, my goodness, this is a great time to take advantage of maybe this interview. And if you follow this process, I'd be your biggest cheerleader in or out of accounting. But if you do accounting, then obviously, it's a lot easier for me to help you out as you progress the entire spectrum. So anyways, that's how you get a hold of me. Great. Thank you so much, David. Great point. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. And looking forward to talking to you again later on. Well, thanks. Now, it's time for you to run with it. Follow through on the action steps discussed and email a summary of what you did to update at runwithit.fm. Every listener who emails us will gain exclusive access to a private Facebook group of action takers. And one listener will earn a free mentoring session with today's guest and potentially a business partnership. Help us build the Run With It community of generous entrepreneurs. Please like, subscribe, and review us online. And remember, the secret of getting ahead is getting started. Podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm run, that's R-U-N, and get 15% off your first year.